0: book club. This is Crystal with a quick note to let you know this episode ends rather abruptly. That is because this chapter when we recorded, we were together for the first time in two years in person, not recording via Zoom. So maybe we got carried away, but this episode ran about two hours. So we decided to split it at a very organic break into two parts. So Just know that the second part of this chapter will be released shortly and you will be able to get the final thoughts on that episode. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club podcast. We are together for the first time in over two years in person. I'm Vera. I'm Trevor. I'm Sylvia. I'm Matt. I'm Crystal. And I'm Alex. And today we'll be talking through chapter nine of the Chamber of Secrets, The Writing on the Wall. And before we get into that, we just want to let you know the way that you can get in touch with us. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at HPBC Podcast. And then if you'd like to send us uh, an email, you can reach us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you've got questions or if you've got corrections, which we're coming up with one of those in just a minute. And if you are enjoying our podcast and you're a fan, we would love for you to give us a like on iTunes. That would really help us out. So I'm going to throw it over to Crystal. She has a correction from our last episode.
0: Yes, so um, in the previous episode, we talked about the basilisk and whether or not at the end of it, when Harry hears him and he says, I smell blood, whether or not that was chicken blood or rooster blood or whatever type of blood we were smelling. And I just happened to think later that I think that that was something we are getting from the movies because in the book, it isn't explicit what she writes with in the in that chapter, in chapter eight. But at the end, when we're actually in the chamber with Tom Riddle, he talks about Jenny writing to him in the diary and Jenny remembers waking up with paint all over her. So I think what we actually can infer from that is that Jenny wrote on the wall in paint and not blood. Right. So we just wanted to make that quick correction. If you're following the movies, you probably didn't think about it. But if you're thinking of the books, the canon as we
1: know it, that was it was paint. All right. Mm. And we talked about, um, because I was remembering that she had killed Hagrid's roosters, and I was thinking she was using the blood for painting on the wall. But then we were reminded that it's the roosters specifically because their call is fatal to the basilisk. So she was strangling them so that they wouldn't harm the basilisk itself.
0: Which is actually interesting now that we're talking about it out loud, I think. If I had thought that through, how in the world did Jenny get a bucket of chicken blood or rooster blood in the castle? And nobody, like, questioned that. Yeah.
2: Magic. So. <laughs> no,
3: yeah, touché, not, not not touché. Touché. <laughs> so, but so she's that? got a gallon of red paint. Right. right. That,
0: well, that's, I mean, so, you also. Know, maybe she's artistic.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we hear about art
3: classes at Hogwarts? No, no. no
4: I mean, that, that. There are that's,
0: tapestries and portraits
3: all over. They're liberal arts education It's a mockery.
4: (laughs) Yes. Facts.
1: Facts. Well, when we get into this chapter, we've just had the first attack by the Basilisk on Mrs. Norris, and Filch is horrified. Filch walks up right after um, Malfoy shouts out, you'll be next, Mudbloods. And it says his eyes are popping as they fall on Harry, and he immediately accuses Harry of being the murderer. He thinks that his cat is dead. Right.
0: I breathed a sigh of relief when Dumbledore arrived on the scene Mm -hmm. because I wondered where would this have gone if Dumbledore had not showed up?
3: Well, Mm -hmm. Filch literally issues a death threat. (laughs) He says, you've killed her, I'll kill you. Right. And that's when... (laughs) Dumbledore interrupts, Argus. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, things have escalated. Yeah, it's like, uh, Filch doesn't seem like he's kidding. Like, he he is ready to perform a violent act, and he immediately believes that it's Uh Harry. I found it really interesting. Again, um, walking through the book's, who knows how many times, but doing it with fresh eyes in, in one sense, you almost forget when are certain things revealed and when are they implied and when did I discover them as I was thinking about it, you know, at mm-hmm. 2 a.m. when I couldn't sleep and I was turning the plot over in my head. There are a couple of reasons why on a first read-through you might believe that Filch would accuse Harry. Here were the three I came up with. Yeah. Um, Filch accuses Harry because uh, Filch and Mrs. Norris just conspired to get Harry in trouble, and Harry had to go to the office, and Harry's getting Filch back. Mm -hmm. Two, Filch accuses Harry because Harry showed poor character. Mm Mm-hmm which is something we talked about in our last episode. He's the kind of person who would do this sort of thing. And then three is that Filch accuses Harry because he sees the writing on the wall and believes that Harry is the heir of Slytherin because Harry just discovered that Filch is a squib and it could be an act of violence against him. Now on page 142, so two pages later, it's revealed Filch thinks that Harry is the heir. And he says, You saw the writing on the wall, and he saw my quick spell thing. He thinks that I'm a squeak. so it's revealed that it's kind of the most nefarious of of the scenarios. But it, it was interesting to me to ask the question okay, with the information that we have on page 140, the first page of the chapter, why would we be led to believe that that Filch would be accusing Harry.
1: Yeah. I, uh, having just read the Squib scenario, I feel like it's that, I feel like it's this run in that he just had with Filch and how he showed himself to be, you know, someone who didn't care about the castle first off, tracking mud everywhere. And then somebody who went into Filch's private mail and, um, Even though he obviously wasn't mocking Filch, now he's got ammo to do so. And so, um, yeah, I think he showed himself to be a poor character, and Filch just immediately jumps to, I already know this person to be untrustworthy. But,
3: uh, you know, when when Dumbledore is saying it would have taken dark magic of the most advanced kind, Filch says, he did it, he did it. You saw what he wrote on the wall. So Filch is, is... It's like, on the first page of the chapter, we're led to believe he looks at Mrs. Norris, and he looks at Harry. Yeah. But here, a couple pages later, it's, no, Filch is putting the pieces together. That the writing on the wall means that the heir of Slytherin is here, and has opened the chamber. The heir of Slytherin is against all non-magical blood, and Filch is a squib. Yeah. And so he's doing, like, a sort of quick... Pretty quick for Logic... Uh, connection in order to to show Dumbledore. No, I no. This is this is your guy. Well,
2: yeah. I think. I mean, the actual line is his popping eyes fell on Harry. So it's just it's one of those where I think you can argue either way. Was Harry? He just happened to be right there in front because he was already there, and his eyes just happened to glance at Harry. He already has that visceral, just ashamed feeling from the last time he had met Harry and so he naturally goes to Harry and then after he's had you know a few moments to think about it and they're back in Lockhart's office then they're thinking okay well what's the reason why did he do this you know and he starts adding on it wasn't just that you know he he uh was angry about you know me getting ready to discipline him but perhaps also you know he, he starts putting things together of like he is the uh, heir of Slytherin, you know, and, like, that's the reason he did it. Um, but I think in the, in the beginning, it's a visceral reaction where he's just, like, uh, he wants someone to blame. He wants reason out of this madness that he just has come upon.
0: And this is enough evidence, too, for any bystander just walking into this scene to also believe that harry could be guilty Mm -hmm. if they no matter what they know about harry or not to hear oh well harry discovered that he's a squib and now you know the day after presumably i'm assuming it's the day after so um now filch's cat has been attacked so harry is a likely candidate because he did see and not to mention he like snape says he was in the wrong place at the wrong time so there are things there that I think could point any bystander just watching yeah. to think Harry is guilty us too, right. as readers even yeah. because
1: the student body came upon these three at the scene of the crime and then those three are led away by the headmaster after Harry's accused yeah. mm-hmm. at thought. the
0: very least if I was That's, a bystander yeah. and I identified as a muggle born or non-magical person or whatever
1: I would be wary mm-hmm. of Harry <laughs> yeah and we see that happens yeah. really quickly.
2: Yeah.
1: So they go to Lockhart's office. It's the closest, and Lockhart's very eager to be of assistance um, to have this sort of meeting um, and try to get to the bottom of things and to inspect Mrs. Norris, um, who we find out is not dead, but petrified. Um, and the whole time, Dumbledore's inspecting um, Mrs. Norris, and and Filch is accusing Harry... Lockhart spouting all of this. Oh, I wish I'd been there. I could have saved her and and I know just the counter curse and and he mentions the transmogriphian torture and um I looked it up. I wanted it to be a thing. It's really only mentioned here. Um but he also mentioned, I remember something very similar happening in Ouagadougou, and I looked it up. It's a real place. It is. Mm-hmm. I it looked is. it up too. Yeah. <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> it is a real place in Africa. I so. thought
0: it was Lockhart well, mumbling place um, that wasn't I'm real to sound cooler than, like, you know, you bumble words thinking they'll, they'll never know what I'm saying and just keep
1: going. Yeah, right. But
4: I just like that specificity. It's, in, a, it's in Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, which oh, I had also oh, never Hwagajuku. heard of. Well, okay, yes, in yes. Africa, yes. So,
4: well, anyway. so West Africa, you know, mm-hmm. people it's that want to be... It's a French
1: African colony. Um, well, and this it's is not a colony city, anymore. But it was. Well, yeah. yeah, It's got that heritage. Well, Vera, yeah. before he even mentron- mentions
3: the uh, Transmagriffian torture, Rowling includes a very interesting little detail. Mm-hmm. Um, Snape loomed behind them half in shadow wearing a most peculiar expression it was as though he was trying hard not to smile
1: i love the way snape's written in this
3: and so i feel like uh in this chapter again and and i say it often but it's it's a it's an interesting experience reading the chapters when you have so much familiarity with them but, you know, in a lot of them, I would read a detail and say, ooh, I wonder what that's about. And then, like, the next page, it would very yep. clearly specify what it was about. I was like, okay, may, maybe we, we weren't supposed to be picking up on that little breadcrumb and overanalyzing it. Um, but this is a detail that is very interesting to me. Uh, and it sort of invites us to get into Snape's psychology. There's, there seem to me to be a number of reasons why he might be smiling peculiarly in this scenario. And I'm wondering what your first impressions were as you saw Snape lingering in the shadow, sort of smirking to himself about a, trans, or a, trans-mogrified, uh, <laughs> a petrified sad. cat um, and the scenario that he finds himself in.
0: So I actually thought that we sort of get the answer in the next couple of pages. Like you just mentioned, that happens a lot. Because I thought from the very beginning here, Snape thinks, here's a way to get Harry off the Quidditch pitch. And he was Mm -hmm. gleefully reveling in. Not because Snape is invested in Quidditch, but because he's invested in Harry not winning. And it was like... Here's a place where Harry, I can, I can get him off the Quidditch pitch, and that's kind of why I
1: thought he was gleeful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he's. Um he's sensing that... I think he knows that Harry didn't do this. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty sure. Because there's no reason for him to like back Harry up, but he kind of does. So yeah. Yeah. Perhaps they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But just in case, we should punish him. Right. By <laughs> taking him <laughs> off but the Gwyneth's So
3: uh, let me problematize that. Okay, great. Uh, he does say maybe they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he gives Harry the opportunity to give mm. a perfectly reasonable explanation. And it was only after Harry was very obviously not telling the whole truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, sort of stumbling and and muttering to himself. And Snape's like, I detect that Potter is Mm. not being entirely truthful. And it's like, well, it didn't take a detective, Snape, to, to figure that one out. And then he goes... And it's this really funny sort of back and forth between he and McGonagall about well I'm not sure he needs yeah. to be kept off the Quidditch pitch, and you know McGonagall's like don't you mess with Gryffindor yep. Quidditch. <laughs> um, so it seems to me that that Snape gives him the opportunity to offer an explanation, and that was a moment where spoiler alert, uh, I I was wondering, okay is Snape sort of compassionately playing the guardian role? for harry i don't
1: think so so i think so the last time harry was in trouble snape did not give them a chance at all to explain he said silence every time after the Wamping willow incident, and he wouldn't let them explain and then they get to dumbledore and dumbledore just says tell me what happened and finally they get to tell their story here i think he knows that something was up they were in the wrong place at the wrong time but they were up to something Uh and he gives him just enough rope to hang himself i think because he knows his story isn't going to add up.
3: I just feel like it it's a gamble. Like, if you're Snape, it's not a guarantee. Like, there, Harry... And honestly, Harry could have come up with a better excuse.
2: Yeah,
1: he he's not a good liar. I mean, he yeah, could have I mean, come I, up with some. Well, they're some on the spot,
2: though, like, what, what would your excuse be? I was at the death day party, and then yeah. we...
3: You decide the food turned
0: in. my stomach, and I didn't feel like eating dinner. That
2: was well, that's uh, a perfectly believable. Yeah, yeah but and why would why wouldn't you go back and prove it a now? Or you could have said tower? we
1: they heard something weird. To we heard something weird, and we followed yeah. the noise up here, right. and there w- there had been an attack. You
3: don't have to divulge. Hey, I might be losing my mind. Right. I'm yeah. hearing voices nobody else is. You hearing. You can
1: include them; they'll back you up. You yeah. know, Hermione and Ron would be like, "Well, we didn't hear it." There's no way they would give him up like that. Yeah. So I it's just
3: it it's just interesting to me that if snape is sort of plotting the give him enough rope to hang himself there's all of these outs where yeah. harry could have given especially with dumbledore present yeah but harry doesn't and so that's when snape and honestly you know as the parent of small sometimes duplicitous children <laughs> i wasn't hating snape's suggestion Oh, Harry is not being honest with us. Maybe, maybe Harry should experience a consequence until Harry can be honest with us mm-hmm. again. And I was like, sometimes I think I sound like Severus Saint in my <laughs> This house. is completely unrelated. Yeah, yeah. This is an unrelated
0: consequence. That that's benefits but if you. Don't know. The, oh, oh, no, it benefits a, the authoritarian. It's, it's a
3: fortuitous consequence for Slytherin Sweet. house. Yeah, yes. And and I I completely buy that. But that's a. But saying there's going to be a consequence, let's at least make it good for Slytherin, is different from Snape saying, I'm playing chess, and I'm five moves ahead of Harry, and I'm going to get him, and that's why I'm smiling at the very beginning of the scenario.
1: Mm. So what do you think it is? Do you have an opinion?
4: Well, to what degree... Should our opinion about what Snape is thinking in this moment be informed by whether or not we think Snape Knows Lucius Malfoy gave Tom Riddle's diary to Ginny Before her coming to school like if he already knows that Lucius had Voldemort's diary. He, does. he, doesn't, know
2: he doesn't know that. He doesn't know no, that. He does no. not know that no, at all. I don't believe How do we know that? I he think he would have told Dumbledore. Yeah, um, yeah. That would have been that revealed
0: happened. in something like the Prince's Tale, because it's such a the the chapter, the Prince's Tale, at the end when we get all these revelations about Snape and what he was doing in all of these chapters. I think um, that would have been revealed because that is a huge yeah. plot. You point. mean?
3: In book six, in yeah. book seven, in book
0: seven. Book seven. The, seven. the Prince's Tale, when seven. Snape is redeemed finally, right? My yeah. favorite chapter that I always reference.
2: Oh, it's, so it's a
3: good one. It's my yes, favorite chapter. In the it's a whole one. canon.
2: <laughs> I wanted to say, I mean, it's you know, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, Snape obviously is a complex character, one of the most complex, I think, in you know this whole canon. Uh, it's he sees Lily, and he naturally has that protective instinct where he wants to protect Harry, but he also sees James mm. in there. And James obviously made his life hell. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's got to be such a complex attachment to Harry that, y- you know, he. You, I think you're right. Like, he doesn't want to see Harry win, but he doesn't want to see Harry hurt either. So there's room for both, I think, in in both kind of theories of like what Snape is actually thinking here so my
3: thought about and it's all speculation you're you're taking the evidence that you have and then you're trying to say in this moment what might Snape reasonably be thinking there are multiple options and so you got to make a judgment call on what you think is best Where I come down is I think Snape is smiling because Filch's cat is dead. Or at least they think his cat is dead. And I think Snape is like finding the reactions somewhat humorous. I also think he may be smiling because he's sitting in the shadows in Lockhart's office. And he knows that Lockhart is a buffoon. (laughs) <laughs> and he's going to watch Lockhart dig himself into a hole. Sooner or later, Lockhart's going to say something, and he's going to be exposed because Snape sees through it. I mean, Snape is the most skeptical, suspicious person in Hogwarts Castle, and he's not buying the, the Lockhart stick for a second. So I don't know. Is that is that worse for Snape in my estimation, or better? Like, I don't think he's actually thinking, here's my chance to get Harry. I think his snapiness is just showing through in the moment. And he's looking at Filch, like, literally lo- losing his mind. And I don't think there's any love loss between he and Filch. And also, he's looking at Lockhart, sort of playing, immediately snapping into character and playing his role for Dumbledore. And... You've all been in that in a scenario, right, where you're in a room, something happens, and you just sort of step back, and you're like, it feels like I'm in a sitcom right now, mm-hmm. and everybody else is like completely absorbed in this scenario, and I'm just on the back wall watching, and sort of enjoying it for the sort of surreal experience that it is. He That's, was, that's where I came down. Well, he
2: was, but... I mean you have to admit that while he's questioning Harry I mean the smile is all about th- there, Harry there's the smiles point. I mean at one question there's a slight sneer curling on his mouth and another question his black eyes glittering in the candlelight uh and another his nasty smile widened yeah. you know what I mean and these are all questions that he's asking Harry of like, basically poking holes through his story yeah. I mean there's oh, something there that he's like he, he is he's enjoying watching Harry squirm.
3: That's true. And, and it could, uh, so I could buy the, this, he's thinking, this may be a chance yeah. to snag Harry. Mm-hmm. And every step of the way, he's saying, oh, Harry's, Harry's playing right into it. Well, yeah. like, I can see that.
2: He, he sees right now in this moment. James being the troublemaker, (laughs) and Harry is following exactly in his footsteps. And and Snape's saying, I'm not going to let this this happen. Yeah, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to get you in trouble. Yeah, you're just like your
3: father. Yeah. And I've seen your father play this game. And I mean, obviously, his
2: father was a seeker on the Quidditch team. And I mean, it was presumably very important to him. And he's going to hit Harry where it hurts. You know, hey, how about we take him off the Quidditch team? while he has time to think about, you know, telling us the true story of what happened. I don't
0: know. I just don't want to believe of Snape, who is a fully redeemable character for the most part, in my opinion. Uh, I don't want to believe that he would be reveling in the pain of someone losing a beloved animal. Mm -hmm. I don't want to believe that about him. Because to me, that is a fundamentally horrible trait to mm. have as a person <laughs> if you see someone kind of who psychopath. loves it is yeah. like uh, you can't understand someone like maybe someone who is completely like their heart is completely locked up and can't love even an animal could feel that way but we know Snape's like his deepest secret is his love for Lily and I cannot see him as someone who would revel in Filch's pain after having lost Lily I uh.
4: I think people could be tempted to enjoy things they shouldn't. Sure. Like, <clears throat> if somebody's been a jerk to you for a long time and you finally see them get their comeuppance, you might enjoy it. Even if you're like, man, they're really suffering. That's that's really, really bad. No, I don't
1: know that
0: Snape and Filch have that kind of relationship. I don't either. And even, I mean, if that's true, then... This is just another comparison foil, maybe of Snape and Harry, because Harry mm. looks at Filch in this moment and has compassion on yeah. him, mm. even though Filch just accused him. Right. Harry looks at Snape or Filch and says, like, he couldn't help but feel sorry for him. He felt mm. more sorry for himself, but even Harry, who does have a grudge sort of with Filch, because of how Filch is like always trying to get after students, I don't know. This so doesn't seem in character. To I Snape, will say, Snape I'm for me.
3: I'm very sympathetic. To your reading of Snape, he is—I agree—the most. Co- well, I don't—I don't even know if we can say most complex because there's a lot of mysteries in some of the characters. You know, somebody like Dumbledore, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. He is an extremely complex character, um, and he becomes an extremely sympathetic character. And I too have grown to love him, um, and obviously read his actions in books one through six in light of the revelations of book seven but nevertheless there still seem to me to be times when Snape acts in ways that cannot be rooted back in his love for Lily you know sure you know (laughs) some pretty ugly behaviors and we see it in Harry as well Mm -hmm. like Harry is our hero in in the novels and yet there are times when he just does gross yeah. things that there's no excuse for. So, I'll say that I'm I'm sympathetic to your instincts there, um, and yet at the end of the day, I'm not sure that I'm convinced fully what the answer is. I think yeah, I think yeah. there could be a lot of a lot of things going on in the smile, not least though what Matt brought up really helpfully the. The sort of developing of the questions and the answers and Harry is sort of he's digging the hole for himself. Yeah. It's not so much Snape gives him the rope to hang himself as that Harry keeps on pulling on the (laughs) rope and Snape's like alright buddy. right.
1: (laughs) Yeah and I think you know he's he's written that way on purpose. She's written him half in shadow and even when Mm -hmm. we get that big piece at the end of the canon we don't get every little piece. He's always get. half in shadow. He's always half in shadow. Oh, yeah, that's We, nice, we yeah. don't always get what we need to figure him out completely. We just get a big chunk that really helps us understand the bulk of it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. I think he's still so complex. He is. I think he's
0: like three-fourths in shadow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just kidding. <laughs> okay. um,
4: let's, let's stick with the half metaphor, because it's kind of a safe thing. <laughs> yeah, <that's pretty>
1: good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He we like the half, is the half-blood prince. He is the half-blood prince, yes. after all.
2: Well, we find out that the cat is, or Missus Norris is not actually okay. dead. But okay, petrified. yeah.
0: Why did it take? May, maybe you all have it, like an actual answer to this, but why could they not immediately tell that she was not dead and that she was petrified?
3: Yeah, these people have seen petrified right people and things. Before, and she's right? stiff, right? S-
0: like s- um, stiff, not limp, like a dead thing. Well, I mean, uh, she could still be dead and stiff, I guess. But well,
3: well Rare a, a, Mortis. <laughs> Alex, he's explained to right us right the, the biology of rigor mortis. No, mortals. I'm not
4: going to take the time to do that right now. But, um, and likely, yes, it is true that rigor mortis takes time to set in before the body becomes quite stiff. Um, but petrification, as I would understand, like at least if, in my mind, the visual is just like that in the movie where this, it's like the... The cat is floating like a like a board.
0: Well, Harry so,
1: calls her, she looks stuffed. Yeah. So yeah. she looks like, yeah. like a taxidermy cat. Yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's. I think it's mostly just like Lockhart talking in Dumbledore's ear that slows it down, really. Because pretty quickly he says she's not dead. Yeah, but why did Dumbledore, who
0: unhooked her from the lamp or whatever she was hanging on, Need to get down and whisper incantations or whatever and prod her.
2: Well, maybe there's something else. I other think he's than trying petrified. to undo it. Yeah, there's something else. Maybe that you know, maybe he thinks maybe she's petrified and he's trying to undo it. But even Hermione says later in the chapter yeah, that he like, wasn't able to. He heal wasn't her. able to do it, so it it obviously was not a human that did right. this. It, it was probably an animal of some sort. Okay, and,
0: I guess I did not think about that he might be trying to heal her i, I thought so. he was just yeah. investigating well
2: i mean it could have been investigation as well like maybe there is something else that we don't know of that mimics petrification yeah but possibly. It well, is something I, else. I
3: th- so i thought that the detail that he mumbled something and tapped her and nothing happened okay yeah was was a clue to us that dumbledore ex- or others even watching expected something to happen and so that was where you know i thought there's a a healing that's being attempted but even then if he's trying to heal her then he believes that she's not dead and Mm -hmm. but he sort of holds that right why not tell phil's immediately (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's cool she's not dead Um, I love McGonagall's line when they're talking about Quidditch that this cat wasn't hit over the head with a broomstick. There is no evidence at all that Potter's done anything wrong. I love it. and,
3: And that's something that we saw with her. You know, she was the straight as an arrow disciplinarian, even in book one. And she's like, you know, Potter, follow me and he's like oh i'm getting expelled and she's like how would you like to be on the quidditch team <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is her one yeah this in, is her like out. she is emotionally invested in the gryffindor quidditch team and it comes out in just really funny ways you know
2: throughout the books yeah well luckily we have uh, the Mandrakes Isn't that I handy? Mean, yeah, it is oh, It's convenient. very handy Yeah, to revive Mrs. Norris And Lockhart says that uh, He'll make it, actually um, Because he's done it a hundred times And uh, I just thought it was a funny scene with Snape Excuse me, said Snape icily But but I believe I am the potions master at this school I don't know And then there was an awkward pause Also, awkward though,
3: pause. like If anybody ever calls Lockhart on his bluff I know like, it's at the end of the school year, mm-hmm. in the climax of the book, that people are finally like, okay, Gilderoy, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. do it, right? You've done this a hundred times. If somebody called his bluff in October, mm, right. they'd been like, dude, you are a fraud and a phony. Yeah. So it's, it's just interesting that he puts himself out there, almost, you, you wonder if he's just banking on the fact that nobody's ever going to take him up on the offer. Yeah. One of the things, even before that, though, was that um, right after McGonagall's line about um, no evidence that Potter has done anything wrong, we are told that Dumbledore was giving Harry a searching look. His twinkling, light blue gaze made Harry feel as though he were being x-rayed. Do, do we think that this is legitimacy that Dumbledore is performing?
0: I don't think that because every instance that we experience from Harry's perspective of legitimacy, Harry knows what is, he knows what memories or what yeah. the person is also it's, seeing in his own mind. It feels like someone's sifting through right. your thoughts. It's like he can feel it and detect it. Yeah. So. When,
3: when he is practicing occlumency. Right.
0: Well, when he's learning occlumency, far before he knows how to do any, like the very first time, and even later when he can practice occlumency. No, I'm
3: saying when he's with Snape, Snape, Snape. he is attempting to put up a barrier to the the legilimens. Right. And so it would make sense that he could sense it then, but there seem to me to be all sorts of moments before he ever learns that Snape is an accomplished legilimens, that we're told that Snape is sort of locking eyes with Harry. And Harry's like, why, why is he looking at me that way? <laughs> you know?
0: But why then would Dumbledore ever have needed the Mirror of Erised to tell him what Harry's innermost character was like? If he could just oh. quickly sift through who Harry is as a person.
3: That is a good question. Uh, so devil's advocate answer would be that the mirror of Erised goes deeper than even one's conscious thoughts may be able to go. Legitimacy is a sifting of thought and memory. And so, and I think character and desire can lie at a deeper place than conscious cognitive thought and memory.
0: I agree with that, but I still have my doubts about whether or not there's actual, like, quote-unquote mind reading happening here Mm. and in all those other instances, though Harry does seem to perceive it a lot that he's being searched either by Dumbledore or Snape.
3: And yeah, you're right. Often often the descriptions are I feel he felt like he was being x rayed right. or he felt like he was being sifted through a sieve or something like that. Yeah, he or senses. his mind was being read even and in the honestly, case of Snape. Like even if it's if there's no legilimens at all, you can look at somebody and they will get the impression that they are being sifted in that moment. Right. There's a way to communicate that. But I think we either I don't know that we're ever told this, but we have to assume that a wizard as accomplished as Dumbledore would be an accomplished Legitimans, right? Sure. And that he would be able to, especially to a second-year Muggle-raised student, uh, be able to sort of pull that off without being detected.
0: Well, he certainly is, because I think there's a point in Book 5 where he even tells Harry, like, I should have taught you myself. But... I still going back to the original question. I don't know that it's ever clear whether or not when someone is performing legilimens on you, if you are always unaware or aware. I don't know if that's ever made clear.
1: Do you, right. any of you know? I don't. I don't remember. I might have to dive on this because I. It has always seemed, when it's happened to Harry, that he was aware of it. Right.
3: But but only when we as readers
1: know. Right. But then that's the other thing. That raises the question of, like, where are we in her thought process as a writer? Like, maybe she hasn't even thought about legitimacy and occlumency as a thing yet. And so, like, maybe when Dumbledore looks at him with X-ray vision, he's just really trying to get him to tell him the truth.
4: But, hold up. We do have moments where um, Harry is... Somebody's invading Harry's mind, and he doesn't have any occlumency to stop it mm-hmm. when Voldemort
1: shows hey. up. Well, but and that's, that's, but that's can
0: a feel different it. kind of connection, though. That's not occlumency versus legilimens. That's like an actual horcrux connection between well, the two of them.
4: Wait. Really? Yes. There's no... He doesn't... You know, we don't think... I mean, sorry. It's, uh, Voldemort is using any kind of... Like, I think to get Dumbledore's into his mind.
0: fear, was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Dumbledore's fear was that Harry needed to learn Occlumency in case Voldemort became aware of the connection and tried to use Legilimens. Mm. Not necessarily that he was using it. But that does bring up another point for me, which is that we know that Snape, being the accomplished Occluman, is that the right word? Occlumens. He is. um he was constantly on the alert against Voldemort and performing occlumency against Voldemort. And there had to be times when Voldemort was trying to penetrate Snape's mind to determine because without a doubt, Voldemort always had doubts about Snape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so he must have always been in Snape's presence, constantly performing legilimens on him. So are we saying that? Snape was just consistently using occlumens and could be aware of what Voldemort was looking at in his mind? Or were there times when... If if Voldemort could have read his mind without Snape being aware of it, then he would have known that Snape was a double
3: agent. My sense is that Snape was constantly performing occlumens because occlumens for him was more like a muscle Mm -hmm. that could be toned and strengthened than a conscious decision that he had to be thinking about every moment. Yeah. Um, This is really interesting. Also, it raises the question, does legilimens have to be performed in the presence of the person, Uh like with eye contact? Right. No.
1: Highly skilled vigilaments could also communicate with other witches and wizards telepathically, even when the target was at a considerable distance. Is that like? But that's like telepathy. It's like projecting your thoughts. Like, I don't know if you can read. On a fantastic what least? is a considerable Sweeney?
2: difference? Or distance, Queenie though. is like
1: it doesn't say, okay. but Queenie Queenie would like accidentally do it. She just mm-hmm. like hear oh, thoughts. Okay. She was so I don't know sensitive to yeah, it or so something. sensitive to it mm-hmm. that it was just like okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know if that's a, an actual answer or not, if we'll ever know
1: the answer. I know. It's not telling me whether or not it's, like, always detectable. It's just... So, it seems
3: like to me, to Vera's point about... And this is a question we bring up often in these early books, is how developed is oh, right. the magical universe? Yeah. My sense is that it, that it almost doesn't matter that she is at least teasing us with the possibility that Dumbledore may be doing more than meets the eye. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. With Harry's sensation that he's being x-rayed. Um, I I will confess, I didn't think that that conversation was going to go as deep as it did. <laughs> I know, it really oh. went deep.
1: <laughs> but I also feel, this is, this is one of those kind of motifs that goes throughout the book of... Um, and a couple other books too of, of Dumbledore you know asking Harry for the truth is there something that you wish to tell me and mm-hmm. then he gets that mirror um, in the past of him asking Tom is there something that you wish to tell me and that sort of ties Harry and Tom together and this whole book is like that tie between Tom and Harry and how Harry's starting to feel that he might not be who he thinks he is mm-hmm. and why is that that's good um, yeah so yeah, I think we're starting to feel Dumbledore pressing Harry for the truth and the full truth. That Harry's not really really aware of the full truth yet.
0: And I wonder if there's even like a niggle of doubt in Dumbledore's mind about Harry. Maybe not because of mm-hmm. the whole episode with the mirror of Erised, but you'd have to wonder. I mean, I think he knew up front with Tom Riddle that there were some iffy things oh, yeah. going on there. And with Harry, I think it's the opposite, but maybe I don't I don't think at this point Dumbledore knows about the horcruxes maybe he's theorized it but doesn't know but there's some sort Um, of tie between them but he definitely knows there's something going on between voldemort and harry it may
3: not uh, it's interesting right literally a split second before you said that i was thinking the exact same thing is could there be any doubt in doubledore's mind and it seems like it wouldn't be about harry as Harry, right. so much as Harry, as yes. affected by yeah. what has been done to right. him yeah,
1: yeah. and it, you know it does turn out that the person that opened the chamber isn't Jenny as Jenny it's Jenny as affected by Voldemort so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's very powerful forces at work here so they get out into the, the corridor and they run into an empty classroom to kind of have a out before they get back into the common room where everybody can hear them and they talk about um, hearing voices as a bad thing, even in the wizarding world. Um, okay, can we stop there? Yes.
0: Okay. Doesn't that presume that Ron knows a lot yes, about muggles? It sure does. When he doesn't? Yeah. Or at least in every other conjecture he's made about muggles, it has been, like, woefully wrong or woefully misinformed. So when he says this, I thought, how does he know that? that that's a weird thing for muggles. But I just had a thought okay, occurred to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Answer your own question.
0: <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. I wonder, is it this book where we see him reading that Marvin, the Marvelous Muggle, or whatever it is, that comic book that he has, the muggle?
1: That's the, in his room at yeah, the borough when we first I wonder
0: if there's – maybe that – is his name Marvin? What's the comic I think called? it's
1: Marvin. The that's Muggle. Right. Marvin marvelous, the Muggle, the marvelous comic muggle. book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that muggle <laughs> – <laughs> it like hears voices or something because he's clearly a different sort of muggle. Yeah. Okay. I might. I'm sorry. I, I may have just answered my own question.
1: <laughs> yeah. It does seem like kind of an out of culture sort yeah, of reference. Yeah. Like
0: Arthur Weasley doesn't know the function of a rubber duck, or at least well, questions what is a rubber duck.
1: Arthur feels especially out of touch. <laughs> that's, <true. laughs>
3: that's a reasonable question. Though.
4: Yeah. No. I. Yeah, let's, let's cut Arthur some slack there.
1: Um, okay, so they talk about the chamber has been opened, and Harry's got no idea what's going on. Ron kind of has a reference to it. Maybe he's heard a story from his older brothers. And then Harry starts asking about what a squib is, because we finally heard the term squib. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron, it's like funny to Ron. He said, well, it's not really funny, but since it's filch... Um, a squib is someone who was born into a wizarding family that hasn't got any magic powers.
0: And then he nails it on the head yes. with Filch, and he says, he's bitter. Mm-hmm. That explains why he hates students so much. He's bitter. Yep. That's
3: it. Well, I wrote down in my notes for this chapter, we spent like half an hour psychologizing <laughs> yes. Argus Filch last episode. Like and sentences. Ron literally tells us... yeah, you know, Granted, that's where we ended up. Right. Yeah. I think we... We went like a couple layers deeper in the onion, yeah. you know, on Filch's character. But he he confirms to us that this is this is the source, maybe the most uh, obvious and apparent source of Filch's uh, response and reactivity towards the students.
0: Yeah. Also, I this is maybe not it's not anything deep, but. It's midnight, and these kids are just getting back to the tower. I mean, this couldn't have taken more than like an hour in Lockhart's office, right? Maybe an hour. So they were getting out of the feast at like ten or eleven p.m. I guess. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. the Halloween feast
1: has a longer.
4: It was a party. Yeah, yeah it was a party.
2: So I guess visiting time.
4: Yeah.
1: But they they typically if the students have a, a much earlier curfew, and then like if right. you try to get into the dorm after that, then yeah, there's trouble.
0: Okay, guys, as I mentioned when the episode started, here is where we have chosen to end this episode, so stay tuned for part two.